it's live now. All right. Hey, I'm Robert Pearson. This is Follow the Leader, and I'm uh, at my church carving up a log for no reason. Um, not no reason. We're trying to keep the rain off some pews we have to store outside, and water keeps puddling in the middle of it. So, this is cheaper than buying a tent pole for no reason, and uh, we have a bunch of thick woods in the back of the church. So, figured since I'm here doing nothing anyway, I may as well talk to the internet. Those of you who are worried, I've been using Edge tools for a good portion of my life. And it's a pretty soft wood and a sharp machete, so we're... Um, anyway, I, <laughs> I got through one day of the book review and then it fell apart because I realized I don't exactly have time to read. I gotta be more disciplined in my schedule to actually read and have time to read and process the book. I forgot why I didn't do particularly well in Bible college. I have a very slow reading speed. Excellent reading comprehension, but it, uh, it just takes forever to get there. It's, uh, it's awful. So, I haven't been able to do that. Um, and, uh, that's a thing. But I figured I'd just share what I was thinking about while I was doing this stuff. Um, had a conversation with my wife on the phone that got me thinking about the uh, Periscope I did the other day about math being spiritual. And that all of math is language and uh, essentially anything that we think of as ideas and intangible is technically in the spiritual realm. And uh, just how, like, real and tangible spiritual things are. Not to say that, you know, angels don't exist or they're just ideas or something. That's um, This is in addition to that. Um, they're very real. And the, the, the best way we can really perceive that realm is through thoughts and ideas and what we believe. And um, We were just talking about how... Uh, what you believe affects how you behave. And uh, so, in a, in a really literal way, uh, your, your faith shields you. Your belief that Jesus Christ was a real human man who lived on this earth, who died and rose again, and uh, all that stuff. Uh, and the eternal atonement, the sins of mankind. Simply actually believing that is real protects you from a lot of nonsense that's uh, sailing the culture today. Just all of it. Because you don't have to wonder then. It, it creates a, a logical structure or foundation. And you're not sort of adrift in this milieu of in this insane storm of nonsense that uh, assaults us every day about uh, men and women really being the same. I mean, even the the alphabet soup position on that changes daily. Um, you know, one day it's a choice, the next day it's how they're born, and it's immutable and unchanging. The next day, you know, they choose to be whatever they want. And the next day, men and women really are the same. It's, it's just crazy. There's no logical consistency within that group or movement, except 
this, you know, intense drive towards uh, relativism. That, you know, you have your truth and I have my truth and we all just have truth, man. Um, you know, in order for you to say that, your truth has to be superior to mine. Because my truth is, there's only one truth and there's only one God. And uh, he has set out standards for how he'd like people to live in the earth where he put us on purpose. Um, oh, man. Got junk falling out of my pocket, so clean over. Anyhow, um, I hope the mic's doing all right. So you don't have to sit there and worry about all that nonsense. And maybe it's really, if you just aggressively believe that, uh, that God is one and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then uh, all that other nonsense can be seen for just nonsense. But once you begin accepting, once you begin believing, yeah, there's two main ways. Uh, well, well, we'll stick with faith. Um, once you begin believing any, any sort of compromise to what the church has always believed, that the Bible is literally true and historically and scientifically accurate. Uh, theologi well, it's theologically accurate. But uh, it would be, as of necessity, scientifically accurate. Um, because the guy that, you know, invented science is the one who also wrote that book. Um, and you can give me any line you want about, well, he, he was communicating to people who lived at a certain time. Uh, yeah, but he didn't lie. He's not a liar. Um, so when things happen at a certain time, in a certain way, and the text is clear about that, and Jesus treats the text in the same way, well then, sorry pal, I got six days of creation around 6,000 years ago. That's, uh, it's been the church's position is still, uh, Catholic Church still holds that position. Um, and, uh, the vast majority of Protestants hold that position as well, because, uh, there's, uh, there's a ton of theological issues that are opened up once you, uh, once you let go of that. Namely, then, Jesus becomes a liar, too. If the earth isn't 6,000 years old, created in six days, um, well, Jesus treated Moses and uh, the prophets as historically accurate. Like, that's how he refers to the text. He calls Moses the actual authors. Um, you can't hold Jesus up as any kind of infallible authority in your life if you, if you start doubting the, uh, the Genesis narrative. Now, it might be rough to accept in parts, it might be hard to understand, um, but the goal is to be trying to understand it and know that you have to understand it in a way that doesn't undermine its historical accuracy. Uh, I think assuming it's all allegory puts you down the wrong path. But anyway, my point is, believing that Jesus Christ was a real human man who had the real uh, divine imbuement of God. Come on now. Um, it protects you from a lot of that nonsense because once you accept uh, evolution, once you accept an old earth, you are on the road 
you are on the road. I don't care what you say. You're on the road to uh, materialism. Where uh, materialism is on the road to nihilism. Um, so that train doesn't have any stops. You can get on that train. No stops on that train. You're just going to keep going. But you're protected from all of that by simply believing in God. Believing Jesus and uh, taking the Bible at its word. You, uh, you're protected from that. You are very literally protected from the fiery darts and lies of Satan by just taking the Bible at face value as historically accurate. Obviously, there are figurative parts of the Bible. Um, but it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out where those parts are. It's not like magic. You can open up a poetry book and a textbook and uh, you can tell the difference in English. This ancient Hebrew is not that different. Um, you know, they don't rhyme in the way we understand rhyming in English, but that's, it's still like, oh, this is obviously poetry, this is obviously, you know, metaphorically a craftsman of righteousness, you know, uh, that makes sense that you would work in, like, it's, it's obviously metaphor in, uh, in poetry and stuff, it's not, it's not that crazy and difficult to understand. So it's just, it's just fascinating to me, though, to realize, like, how you, you have these, you know, the, the armor of God, and it's spiritual, and yes, at some level there's something we don't understand as armor, but you are also very literally protected from believing lies by simply trusting in God's Word, trusting in Christ. Uh, you can be protected from all sort of lies and uh, nonsense that leads to other nonsense. Because once you assent mentally to that, oh, well, we all have our own truth, uh, everything falls apart pretty quickly after that. Because everything's meaningless. You become your own god of your own little world uh, inside your own little head that doesn't extend outside of your head. And you've got no way to bring the light of the gospel to other people. Nothing. You're just stuck. You're stuck on your own there. Um, let's see. Let's see this over here. So, I'm still in frame and all. I didn't plan this out very well. Um, bam! Did I get to sit down now? I think I get to sit down. Okay. Let's uh, let's put the tip away from my thumb roll. Um, oh, I have two femorals. It's got uh, a Trixie. There we go. Anyway, um, I was saying words and stuff that meant things. I at least felt it was profound. Um, so your your belief in the Bible, your belief that that Christ is a historical figure and real, uh, makes makes you safe from a lot of insanity that afflicts us nowadays. Uh, simply 
following God's truth and searching for truth puts you in a better frame to now when certain politicians say things to search out the truth more than one or two Vox articles before you, uh, you make up your mind. To, uh, to realize that, you know, just because they say facts check doesn't mean they're, they're actually accurate to reality. Um, you, you become, uh, you are kept safe in a, in a very real sense from believing lies because you search out the truth of matters. Um, because that's, you're used to searching out the truth of the Bible. You're used to paying attention to detailed statements and all of a sudden you're able to pay attention to detailed statements that politicians make or, uh, you know, religious figures, you know, the kind that might talk to Oprah and tell her that, you know, you might not have to believe in Jesus to be saved. Those kind of things. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on that you don't have to worry about when you believe in what has been the, uh, I mean, the church hasn't changed their position in ever, right? The Bible's true. Christ was a, a real person, a real man that lived and died and rose again. And uh, he was God in the flesh, the God-man, right? And is a, uh, an atoning sacrifice for us before God. That's, um, that's, that's literally what being a Christian is. Uh, I don't care how much you think you get to redefine that. By talking carefully into a microphone, you know, there are different ways of being a Christian, and, um, not really. Um, I mean, for people that don't pay attention, and you just listen to what your preacher tells you, I guess, you're, I mean, I hope he's a good one, because then you're stuck. You're stuck, man. That's, that's my entire message for anything I do, is just that, understand that you're responsible for what you do and say and believe. And you need to, to research all this stuff on your own. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Well, you know, what's it worth to you? Is it important? Um, what else are you spending time on that's less important? I mean, is your preacher going to be there at the end of all things when Christ comes in judgment? And you're like, but my preacher said, and Jesus is like, yeah, well, it's wrong. You didn't think to question him or ask or read it yourself? Look at this nonsense he was telling you. Did you even read this book I gave you? Everybody has this book. It's all over the planet. It's the most shoplifted book anywhere. You never read it yourself? I mean, it's a very different story when you read your read it for yourself. Um... You investigate the stuff that you're told, and, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you don't, doesn't mean you disagree with your pastor, it just means that you've looked into it for yourself. You don't believe it because your pastor told you it. You believe it because you looked into it and investigated the matter and go, yeah, that all checks out. Nice. That's my entire goal, is just get as many people as possible reading this book, because the Bible is important. Most important, most important book around. Um, hmm. I think I can start working my way back. Yes, I'm sorry if that's loud.
down like this, probably. We'll figure it out. Figure it out. A stone frame, maybe. Something. Maybe. Anyway. So, it's just fascinating, though, the Shield of Faith really protects you from real lies by just really believing the Bible is real. There's a lot of reals going on there. Um, now, that's not to say, once again, that's the only sort of way in which the Shield of Faith works, right? This is, a, uh, as I've said before, all of our things that we would think of as mental processes are technically spiritual. Actually spiritual, I would say. Um, spiritual being anything that's not physical, right? Okay, well, show me the number two. You can put graphite on paper, you can hand me apples, you can hold fingers up, but these are fingers, these are apples, that's graphite. Under a microscope, please show me two. Well, two is a concept. That's fine. What does that mean? I mean, you just threw a word at something. Is a concept subordinate or superordinate to reality, to the, the physical material world? If the physical world creates ideas, then ideas should have no power over the physical world. Just like the physical world has no power over the spiritual world, uh, you, you shouldn't be able to affect and control the physical world with ideas and things that are effectively emanations of neurons. But it, clearly they can, right? Math lets us build bridges and... Uh, shoot rockets and all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, an understanding of mathematics helped refine the metallurgy that made this machete, which is destroying this tree. Well, it's shaping the tree into useful service. But that's the point, though, is it's, it's exerting a real physical authority over the material plane. See what I did there? A little carpentry humor. <laughs> I'm so witty. Um, anyway, yeah. The, uh, so, another aspect of how real uh, the armor of God is and the, the spirit realm is, is uh, the simple understanding that people who are living in sin are very easily fooled and deceived. It's, uh, it's very easy to lie to somebody and to, uh, to trick them when they are sinning. A simple way to look at this, or to, to observe this, uh, what, I, what I would say is a fact, is commercials. Any, any commercial ever essentially starts out tempting you to sin, as like the beginning of the commercial. I can just, yeah, let's sit here and process the rest of it just like this. That's the that's the start of literally every commercial ever. Is it's it it's initially tempts you to covet. Um, think of the old Hardee's commercials. Uh, that would uh, immediately 
they, they start with, with lust to sell you hamburgers. But to convince you to come buy their hamburgers, they're going to tempt you to lust. Because once you're lusting, they can get you to do anything they want. And all they want you to do right now is buy their hamburgers. And they don't care about your eternal soul or anything. Um, so once, once they entice you to lust, look at a car commercial, right? Um, uh, all these money guarantees, cheap this, get this, want the, these brand new whatever cars, 50% financing. What they want you to do is lust for a car that you can't afford and then agree to become a debt slave to get that car. So they're getting you to covet. They're getting you to covet and using that greed to motivate you into purchasing a car from them. Um, that's, that's every commercial ever. Uh, marketing, most marketing is a spiritual attack. Um, I mean, there's, there's some, like your classic infomercial. Um, but even, even infomercials, a lot of them, isn't it hard to do this thing? And it's, uh, most of the time it's not a hard thing to do at all. It's something that a lot of us do every day. We're like, how do you not know how to strain spaghetti? I do it all the time with a, a dollar store colander. It's not a big deal. Um, but they're tempting you to lethargy. They're tempting you to be lazy. And then once uh, anybody who succumbs to that is now that much more easily ensnared to buy their colander lid pot with copper magic things or whatever. Um, almost every advertisement starts off with an initial temptation of some kind of sin. You know, one of the seven deadlies. And once you succumb to that, they've got you. You're you're gonna buy their you're gonna buy their car. You're gonna you know if it's within your purchasing power to do it, you're gonna do it because you succumb to that initial sin. But if you had the breastplate of righteousness, so yes, Christ gives you righteousness, right? There's there are higher levels to all of these concepts. I understand that. Fully, I'm not saying this is the full end all of scripture, um, but so often uh, people get so wrapped up in church talk, it gets a little flighty and it's hard to make it real. It's hard to really see it as a real thing to go, no, being a living in a way where you constantly denying sin and temptation to make that an intentional habit protects you. It protects you from lies. It protects you from buying colander pots at two in the morning. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all part of it. And if you just read your Bible as though they're these like, oh cool, I've got this magical invisible armor all the time uh, in the spirit realm that I can't understand. Yes. And on a very simple and practical level, having a, a, a habitual <clears throat> having a habitual attitude that trends towards righteousness, towards denying sin, towards doing your very best to resist temptation, um, obviously with the power of the Holy Spirit and all of that stuff. Not not denying or trying to undercut any of that. But, uh, you know, God is a God who expects us to get off the couch and uh, go and act and do and engage in the world. So it's always both. With God, it's almost always both. But that's the, uh, that's the whole point, then, 
of, uh, of what I'm trying to say is that it's it's real. It's very real. Um, on just the basic level of, you know, don't uh, keeping keeping righteous by. Uh, I understand righteousness of men, righteousness of God. I'm not. I'm not talking against that. This is additive. This is uh, this is an in addition to. This is a way of applying that, right? God wants us to act. Uh, God provides, right? He provides the farmers food. But that's after they've plowed the field, sown the seed, water the field. You know, they got to fertilize it. They do all the farmer stuff. They build a fence so rabbits don't eat all of it. Um, there's a lot of work that's involved. For God to provide the growth. The farmer can't, he doesn't sit outside and just grunt and go, make those carrots grow real good. He, but he plows the ground, he prepares it, he does all the work ahead of time, and then he sits back and allows God to, uh, you know, score the touchdown. Um, so then he's got to harvest it too, right? God doesn't just bring it and put it in his fridge. Uh, he's got to go out there and get it. So God is a God that expects us to get off the couch. Um, once again, see my other video about, um, I don't think, I don't think anybody believes, uh, on a practical level, I mean, people argue about faith versus works, and, uh, you know, well, like, faith precedes works, or works precede faith, or whatever, nobody believes that you can work your way into heaven, uh, practically speaking. Nobody that I've ever met, or talked with, or hashed out theology with, nobody actually believes that. Um, and at the same time, nobody actually believes that, uh, you can just sit on your butt after you accept Christ, and you're like, I don't have to do anything now. <laughs> Obviously, you gotta you got to get off your butt and go work. you got to go do something. You have to get off the couch and go be a Christian outside somewhere. Um, so, some squirrels over there hanging out. Anyway, uh, come on now. Come on. Um, as you go, uh, oh, right, the armor of God. So the breastplate of righteousness keeps you safe in a very real way by protecting your heart. By protecting your heart. So when you cultivate a habit of righteousness, when you cultivate a habit of denying temptation, denying sin, and attempting to do what is right at all times, in all places, out of the love of God and His Spirit within you, all of a sudden... All of those, uh, all of those worldly lies, uh, you know, temptations to lust, temptations to desire and greed, avarice, temptations to uh, to laziness. Uh, you know, a simple TV commercial can have all three or four of those piled up before they actually tell you what the product is that they want you to even buy. Uh, and you're, you're spared all of that. Your heart is protected from that when you cultivate uh, work to grow righteousness in your life. When you work with God and allow Him to grow in you. Boom, right? It's uh, you're, you're kept safe in a very real way. In addition to whatever, you know, crazy spirit realm armor that we have that we can't understand. Like, that's... I'm not, I'm not saying that that is only this weird, veiled, materialist answer. I'm just saying that Christianity is far more real than uh, the average preacher will lead you to believe. 
in the way that they speak. Not that they don't believe this, it's just hard to communicate from a pulpit in a three-point outline in 20 minutes. It, uh, it doesn't happen. But once again, that's why you got to be engaged. That's why you've got to read the stuff for yourself. That's why you've got to... Um, it's funny, five years at Bible college, desperately searching for what the meaning of discipleship meant, what leader leadership meant, what... Uh, you know, what, what any of these things meant, how I need a mentor, like how do I grow, what does this happen? And uh, the only answer ever I found that was the truest and never changed came out of a kid's song from Children's Church. And it's, uh, read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. And that really was and has been the, that's the Puritan secret for success, right? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. Um... And it should be without saying that it's not in a ritualistic way, but in a real way. That you really believe God is real. God is alive and speaking. And that you can hear him in your prayer and in his word. Because we serve a living God, right? God speaks. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's very important that in the New Testament... And in the Septuagint, the verse that he's quoting from Deuteronomy, it is rhema, which is the Greek word for a spoken utterance. Uh, and the, um, I can't remember if the Hebrew reflects that or not. Uh, regardless, though, when Jesus says it in Greek in the New Testament, it matches the, uh, the Septuagint's uh, specific word choice in that point. I forget what the tenses are make. I'm getting sidetracked. The point is, um, it's a spoken word. It's a, it's a living, active, spoken word. It's not a logos. It's not, uh, I forget there's a nuanced vocabulary for a written down word, something that has been written. It's not that. It's a spoken. It's a spoken word. The root of the word rhema is also the word for utterance or a, a grunt. Like it's, it's specifically audible. So, our God is alive, and our God speaks. And so if you can't hear him, the problem isn't probably with God. It's with your ears. And just understanding that, and then seeking out, you know, God help me listen. God, remove all the voices from my life, even my own. And just aggressively pursuing that. pursuing that will get you there. Continuously seeking the Lord in prayer and in scripture. And, uh, and it, in very practical ways, will really keep you safe. Uh, you know, keep you away from lies, keep you away from deceit, uh, keep you from spending money on late night infomercials or buying empty campaign promises thinking a politician can solve your problems. Tell you right now, you can't. No matter who wins the election, you know what happens the day after election? You still wake up, go to work, buy groceries, go home, go to sleep. Like it, nothing changes um, practically in your life. Uh, you can just choose different things to be upset about on the internet um, or make fun of people for on the internet, but it's still on a very practical level. 
Pardon me, nothing changes. Systemically in our society and culture, we're looking at a, you know, a tipping point of change. But um, if you take that and dial it in real quick, uh, that affects your children's 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 life. It doesn't affect your tomorrow, and it certainly doesn't affect your eternity. Um, I mean, it doesn't change the fact that you have a responsibility to uh, seek and follow the Lord, seek His face, and uh, you know, seek to be reconciled to Him through Christ. And then seek to grow in his spirit. Um, that's it, right? All that's going to do is going to be harder or easier, depending on who's in office. And honestly, if it's harder to do, then there's more glory in it for when you do it successfully. Good for you. Um, obviously, all glory goes to God, but he, he shares it with us when we, you know, really nail it. That's why you still know the names of, you know, Moses and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is they, uh... After their own way, they did a good job, and God shared some of his glory with them through the ages, that their names would be remembered, and they would be lessons to us for all time. Pretty cool. So anyway, um, after that fashion, there is, in that way, more triumph and glory for us as Christians. If it's harder to follow Christ, think of all the martyrs. Everybody knows the martyrs. In am I pushing? I'm pushing buttons in my pocket here. Anyway, um, think of all the, the martyrs in the Roman Church, right? Everybody knows of them and their their triumphs and singing hymns as lions eat them and all kinds of crazy stuff they did. Um, we know that. I mean, there are so many of them, it, you can't really know all of their names. I mean, even the ones of the names we do know, there are a ton. If you just start reading through saints, um, you know, from like the year zero to the year 300 or so, when you know Constantine kind of put an end to all that, it was, there's a lot of the ones that we do know. You couldn't uh, functionally remember them all. Fox's Book of Martyrs and stuff. It's, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot happening singing hymns, uh, one monk out in the middle of nowhere made these guys, made the Roman soldiers dinner that were there to kill him, knowing they were there to kill him. And then after they went to bed, went out back and dug his own grave. And then when they got up after a good night's sleep and a good meal that he made them, uh, they're like, well, do you know where this one guy is? He's like, yeah, that's me. I'm that guy you're looking for. And they're like, oh, uh, maybe we can lie and tell him we didn't find you? And he's like, no, no, I already dug my own grave. You have a job to do. You need to do it. <laughs> they took him out. I forget the dude's name, but yeah, look it up. Monk, martyr, dug his own grave. It's, uh, it starts with a D something, I forget. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're called to do as Christians, man. And uh, whoever's in power, whatever's going on, it just makes it harder or easier. I mean, how many, think about uh, all the people who were martyred under Constantine. They weren't. You don't know any of those guys. They don't have any stories. They don't have any um, notoriety shared by God down through the ages because they didn't have a hard time. It was easy following God then. It was easy being a Christian. You know all the saints that show up from that time? <laughs> They're bishops. Who were sent out into the Viking lands to go convert Vikings and turn them into Christians. 
they got some stories. Um, but they went out to where it was hard to be a Christian and had, had a good time. So that's, that's what I'm saying, though, is following God frees you from all of that weird worry and stress of all the external stuff. You just go, well, it's going to be harder or easier to follow God, depending on what's happening outside, but it doesn't change the game plan, right? It might change the details of your immediate game plan a little bit, but in general, you know, the game is still follow God, read your Bible, pray every day. You know, maybe you got to hide your Bible or move to another country or, you know, whatever's happening, or go to jail. There was a missionary came through the area from, uh, he's from Vietnam. They kept putting him in prison. The, uh, the communist government kept putting him in prison. And then they had to keep moving him around from prison to prison because he would convert the prisoners and start churches inside of the prison. And so they moved him to another prison. Eventually they put him in a woman's prison expecting to tempt him with lust, right? Bam, immediately back to our original point. And he's protected very practically by his righteousness as a breastplate. And he starts converting these women to the women's prison. To the point where they got to take him out of that. They wind up eventually setting him free. They're like, we just, we need you to stop. And he's like, no. Um, oh, I forget the name of his book. It is impressive stuff, though, man. Impressive stuff. Um, so it's, oh, little bug. It's just important to remember how real this Christianity stuff is. There's a reason it's been around this long. There's a reason that once uh, Christianity took off enough to get enough uh, adherence, all of the greatest minds of that age were or became Christian. You have all these very intelligent young men, Justin Martyr, uh, later Augustine, uh, Hippo, Augustine. I don't agree with all of Augustine's theology. Uh, would love to, to sit down and chat with the guy over some coffee or something, but... Uh, Excuse me, pardon me. Um, anyway, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant minds of their time. Augustine, City of God, he takes the time, he's in a single book, taking the task literally all of the pagan, uh, this is after the fall of Rome, uh, the sacking of Rome by the, the Goths, or by the Goths, whoever did those, those crazy Aryan Vikings. Um, but he, uh, He's basically writing a defense to the uh, the leading pagan minds of that time why it wasn't Christianity's fault that Rome was sacked. And uh, he's making his case. So all over, he's running through, and uh, he's quoting he's quoting Virgil and Homer and uh, Plato, left and right. And it's it's insane because you got to remember he's. He doesn't have an index, right? There's no, there's not even page numbers on the stuff that he's using to cite from. He's having to remember where the quotation was to make his point. He can't sit there and reorder his thoughts like in a, in a Word document. He has to go page by page and write his stuff out and then scrap it if it didn't structure the way it wants when he wrote it. And he's, he's in addition to that, quoting pagan sources... So he's got to have the pagan source open, find where he wants on that without page numbers or verses or markers, um, and then hand transcribe from that written work 
to his written work and then do that over again if he messes up or changes his flow of thought or decides to restructure his argument. So he's got to, like, at one go, like, at one run, get it, get his thoughts on paper in the right order to make his point and not lose where he's at and keep going. And it's a really long book. There's no way he wrote it in one sitting. It's a, it's a doozy. Oh, man. Foot's falling asleep. So it's just, it's a thing that, can we move that a little bit? What? A little bit? Come on. Bam. Nailed it. Um, the, uh, it's just fascinating, though, to see that all of the greatest minds of that era were Christians. If you look at all the writing that, that survives, they, they dwarf intellectually all the other uh, competitors. Um, you've got the, some of the pagan authors will feebly attempt to uh, cite scripture to prove a point, and it's just comes out as nonsense. Um, the, uh, oh, what is it? Irenaeus, against heresies. Irenaeus is the man. Um, and he takes the time to, uh, he articulates the Gnostic position, the varieties of Gnostic position, and the logical consequences of those Gnostic positions better than the Gnostic writers do. Because um, he takes the time to make sure he's not going after a straw man when he tears these heresies down. It's uh, Against Heresies by Irenaeus. Uh, I only have time for this stuff as audiobooks. And, uh, so yeah, you go for stuff in the public domain in audiobooks. Irenaeus is a fun one because he also believes that Jesus was 50 when he was crucified, which is fascinating and, like, never came up at Bible college. Um, I, it's, it's inconsequential, but... You know, hey, that's a thing. That's a thing, man. Anyway, um, but he cites it so matter-of-factly, like everybody knows. Anyway, and he just keeps going on, and you're like, "What? What? You're not going to unpack that at all?" <laughs> it's, it's a little surreal. Um, yeah, what do you do with it? I don't know. You just keep going. Learn what you can learn, and keep going. Um, but yeah, I, I read the early church fathers as just like the way that you would read like a John Maxwell book now, right? This is a somebody who has studied scripture for a long time. They have access to information that I don't have access to readily. Um, and they're, they're older than me. And they, they very likely know a lot, a lot more than I do. So I'm going to listen to them. But they're not... You know, they're not Jesus. It's not scripture. I don't have to agree with them. Um, but it doesn't mean I can't learn from them also. Come on, man. Just stop rolling over. So anyway, um, but yeah, it's, it's important to see how much of Christianity is very real and very practical. Um, and how it is vastly superior to other religions because so. Because it is... Uh, so real and practical. Now, I'm not. Uh, once again, I'm not. I'm not trying to diminish it at all. To say that that's that's what makes it true is it's practical, um, or that that's all there is to is this materialistic. Life is better when you're moral, and Christianity happened to be a naturally developing moral framework. That, no, no, no. That's all nonsense. Christianity is literally true. 
The Bible is historically and scientifically accurate. Uh, as read literally, with common sense, right? It's called the historical grammatical method. You use basic grammar of the language and a basic knowledge of the history and the plain meaning of the text becomes pretty obvious. And then, you know, we can bicker about the details. It's fun. But uh, those, uh, those big ideas are unchanging. So anyway, what I'm saying, though, is the reason... Uh, the reason Christianity is so real and so practical and so obviously uh, the best way, it makes it... It doesn't make it, sorry. That's because it's true. That is a natural result of Christianity being the one true, uh, the one true religion, the only uh, true, objectively accurate meta narrative is uh, that's evidence of it is that it is so uh, it is so practical and real at every level because. You could say, well, the Bible has a lot of good moral teaching. What makes it good moral teaching? Well, I have better life outcomes when I follow the advice in it. Okay, why? Well, a lot of really smart people read that. No, if you believe in evolution, people older than us aren't really smart. They're really dumb. And knowledge is advancing and growing through time. So why are the people older than us know more than we do? It doesn't make any sense. How is the Bible have so much information about human nature that is perfectly true and accurate. Um, I mean, you can't just take it as a good moral guidebook without really taking a minute and thinking, why is this the best moral guide work? Because it's true. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it, that can get missed from the pulpit a lot of times. And, uh, just because it's not conveyed well, or maybe that specific idea isn't conveyed at all. The Christianity is very, very literally true. Um, taking your very real belief that Jesus is real, and then, uh, holding to that belief keeps you from being lied to by people who want to manipulate you. You are shielded, then... By your faith, your belief in in God, your belief in Jesus, His Son. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy, though. Pretty, pretty cool. Ah, come on now. Let's see. Let's put this. That's loud. frame and we carry on um so right the bible's real anyway um so yeah that's the bible is literally real true and accurate um in every every way you could measure it but especially in the intangible things in the realm of morality, the realm of lies and deceit, belief and truth, 
I mean, if you can get somebody to believe a lie, think about how easy it is to get them to commit a sin. And once somebody's committed a sin, it's very easy to get them to believe a lie. So that first lie, that God doesn't exist, you start with little lies. You start with, you know, maybe the Bible's not completely historically accurate. Well, that gets a foot in the door, right? If the Bible's not, you know, perfectly true in every detail, it gets your foot in the door for other ideas, like maybe it's not true in these details. Now who gets to decide what details are true? And, uh, you know, you get on that train thinking you'll just get off at the next stop. There are no other stops. And that train only has one destination. And it'll just keep going. The same road takes you from a culturally relative, right? Say the Bible's culturally relative. No. Uh, because, you know, if you take a verse and you say, I don't like that verse, that verse is now culturally relative. Um, okay, but now that doesn't stop anyone else from saying everything's culturally relative. You know, when is, when is murder culturally relative? Who decides that the murder verses aren't culturally relative, but, you know, the hair-length ones are or something, right? Um, Paul talks a lot about men having short hair. Uh, if you handle that by saying, well, it was a different culture and time, uh, okay, but that argument doesn't have an end point uh, at all. I mean, the consequences go the other way, too, right, where you wind up prevailing. Uh, but I would say it is better to, out of ignorance, obey too much than out of arrogance, obey too little. Uh, I'm not saying what you should do about hair, prayer veiling, but, you know, just dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and just... Or, uh, no, it's like 9 and 10. It's, it's a trip, man. I don't know. I, uh... I just, I just read through it and I work on it. I don't know. But, uh, the, specifically, in regards to that kind of stuff, Jesus is very clearly against legalism. So it doesn't make sense to sit there and now, let's say, dig through the New Testament for a bunch of random laws we have to follow. Are we lying correctly? Um, he's like, I just had a talk with the Pharisees, guys. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different places people come down on. But my point is, you should be looking, you should be reading, you should be studying, you should be taking what you read in the Bible seriously and changing how you live your life based on what you read in the Bible. I know, it's a revolutionary idea. Uh, but it's actually a reactionary idea because it's the oldest idea. Reactionaries are ones who do not seek to overturn an established order. They seek to return to an established order. They are reacting to an attempt to overthrow the established order. Satan is a revolutionary. Christians are reactionaries. There we go, come on. All right. Almost. I'm almost done. So, it's, uh, yeah. Once again, we're back to read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. You have to be in the scriptures. You have to take what you read there seriously and then actually change your life because of it. 
I know it's a lot of work, but uh, nothing worth doing is easy, right? Oh, there's a lot of bugs in the end of this. Hey, guys. You, uh, you, you can't live here anymore. Can't, uh, you don't get to live here anymore, guys. That was a fun little surprise, wasn't it? A bunch of ants coming out of the end of the stick here. Come on! Urgh. It's like right up top, though, there. That's a really... T this was the top of the tree. There were just like a bunch of ants. None of the rest of this looks... rotted. Maybe they're up in the core of it? Like, hollowed out the hardwood? And it's just thin enough here? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a secret to everyone. starting to bounce around a lot. Stop it! Right, anyway, you need to read your Bible. Pray every day. And read, uh, take what you read in your Bible very seriously. Don't be afraid. The whole point, right, is that because of Christ, we can now boldly approach the throne of grace. Okay? So, yes, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's the beginning. You don't stay there. Uh, but you continue to move in reverence. And as then John says, perfect love casts out fear. Not that we would cease to fear God, but that in loving Him, we're not going to be afraid of Him, um, but still revere. The way you would, uh, you would use a machete, right? This is dangerous. If I were to just slam my hand on this blade, I would, uh, I would experience some physical pain and some bleeding. It wouldn't be fun. Um... So to start using a machete, you have to be afraid of what it can do to you, where the, the sharp parts are. And then as you get familiar with it, when you learn to love your tools, you can do crazy stuff with it because you know your limits, you know the tool's limits, you know what parts are sharp and how you can grab those sharp parts without cutting, right? I'm still afraid of the tool. I'm not afraid of it, but I revere it. I understand what it can do and what it can't do. Um, you know, at times where this was wobbling too much or this started to get too close to my legs or my hands, I would adjust how I was holding. I would adjust how I'd grip it. And um, tools have a great way of reminding you once you lack reverence, uh, you, you cut yourself. Uh, once you use them casually and uh, um, in an unsafe manner. You cut yourself. Now, an unsafe manner changes by person. It changes by skill level, right? I can do this in my sleep. This is just a thing that I do. This is what I did in high school instead of having friends. Okay. So, um, someone else who's never held a machete before couldn't do that safely. Approaching God is the same way. When you've spent time in prayer, when you spend time in the scripture, once you know where he's at and uh, how he does business, it is it is quite simple to approach him lovingly with reverence without fear. Oh, come on. Stop rolling over. Stop it. A uh, friend of mine in Bible college would start every prayer with dad. She called God like dad or daddy the whole time in the prayer. Um, I don't know, I came from a more reverent background, so it always struck me as weird, but, you know, try as I might looking through the Bible, like, uh, I can't falter for it. That's, that's 
where she's at with her relationship with God and the stuff that they've been through together. And uh, it doesn't counteract anything I see in Scripture. Abba, Father, right? And we're able to, uh, you know, boldly approach the throne of grace. So, all right, checks out, right? But you've got to know your Bible to know that. And there's also a, a spirit, you can do that poorly. I mean, there are people who just do it because it's funny and stuff. I mean, she said it, you know she meant it. You know she wasn't doing it because she thought it got Snickers. Um, and chuckles from everybody. So, it's, uh, it's definitely a thing. But yeah, it's, the fundamentals of Christianity are read your Bible, take it seriously. And, uh, I mean, yes, there are very deep allegories within it, but that doesn't mean it stops being historically accurate. It doesn't mean the historical elements of it stop being true. It's just in addition now. Is it so hard to believe that God would orchestrate all of history to establish an allegory for his, you know, eventual coming of Christ or his relationship with the church inside of the lives of you know, several men. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The way Isaac's life and uh, the Israelites later, God oriented, uh, orchestrated history to be an allegory for Christ and the church eventually. That's a, that's insane. Oh, it's a big millipede. Get off. My stick now. You don't live here anymore. Go away. I have to cut the very end of this off just to avoid the part, all the bugs in it. Right. Anyway, um, it's just fascinating though to me that it doesn't uh, doesn't come up very often. That like all of language, all of life, math is spiritual, all of it. I went to a, <coughs> a men's conference recently, and one of the speakers, John Bevere. Had, uh, had that exact point as uh, he was building towards uh, some uh, larger point in his, his message, but that um, that there is no secular, right? Everything is, is spiritual. Everything is uh, everything is God's domain. And um, we as, as Christians, we are we're a royal priesthood. So everything we do is a priestly duty. Everything we do is, in effect, sacred. Because you have the Spirit of God inside of you. You're, uh, you're a royal priesthood, as, uh, as Peter says. And Christ is the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. So you're, as a Christian now, right? You're a priest... Under, under Christ, he's our high priest. And so now all of the stuff that you do is priestly duties. When you're, when you're working in your, your gifts and talents that God has given you, when you're uh, applying your trade at work, right? That's all, that's all uh, spiritual duties that, that God has given you. doing the Lord's work, even if all you're doing is, you know, turning a screwdriver and putting outlets in a wall. 
that's uh, it's towards my hand. I don't want to do that. Um, I just need the backside of this car. That's, uh, yeah, that's it. Everything is spiritual. Nothing is not spiritual. And, uh, the more you understand that, the more you read your Bible, the more you pray every day, you, uh, you become more impervious to Satan's lies and deceit. Aha! I got it. They'll figure this out eventually. Whoop! Nailed it! Um... So yeah, it's it's fascinating, fascinating to me. God is alive. Scripture is real. And um, oh, that's right, good. So the you live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that phrase in itself also necessitates God having spoken. His spoken word. So. Um, that means that you have to be reading your Bible and praying every day and understanding that the Bible is a bridge. It's, an, it's a love letter, right? It's an introduction. It's a, it's a getting to know God. Come on. Let's just go through the wood. There we go. And so as you, as you uh, pray and get to know God, um, you get to understand his, his character and you start being able to uh, to hear from him, to get answers from your prayers, even in like little coincidences in life and stuff. It's certain things become obvious. Um, it's fascinating as um, growing up Baptist with like Awanas and stuff. There's a huge emphasis on memorizing scripture, which is very important, mind you. Uh, but it was just, it's, it was interesting because I, I noticed it felt like a little bit of a contrast then when you read in Revelation, uh, when it talked about those who overcame the, uh, the power of the beast, right? The power of Satan. They overcame by what? I would have expected to see, you know, by, by the spirit and by the, the word of God. No, it was the word of their testimony. And the blood. They were covered in the blood. They were, uh, they had accepted Christ. And they were, um, they were covered by his atoning sacrifice. And it was the word of their testimony. I think it's Rhema there too. I haven't looked in a while. Um, but specifically though, it was their testimony. It wasn't all the Bible verses they had memorized. Their testimony is what God has said and did in their life. You know, as uh, as the old hymn says, uh, "Your grace has brought me safe thus far, and your grace will lead me home." That's how we, uh, as Christians, overcome. I mean, yeah, Bible verses are awesome. Scripture is uh, the most powerful way you get to know God, and uh, at the same time. It's, it's a written word. The Bible is words that God's have spoke, God has spoken, stories about God, stories about man and God interacting. And uh, 
the way it all comes together, it's about... If it stays in the Bible after you read it, it doesn't do you any good. It has to come into your life. You have to take it with you from the Scripture and then go live that out. Um, you have to... You have to make it real. You have to take it with you. Because it is real. Pun intended, I guess. Although nobody cares if my puns are intended. Um, it, it is real. But in order for it to be real for you, in order for it to really work in your life, you have to take what's on that page and bring it into your life with you. You have to take what's on that page and... Uh, and uh, make it live. Right? I can read a book about agriculture all I want. I can do all the, the, the agricultural study I want, but until I actually go outside and pick up a shovel, that book isn't going to grow any food. Even though that agricultural textbook might help me grow more food than I've ever know what to do with. Nothing happens from that textbook until I take it and I go pick up a shovel and I go live it. Find out how real that textbook is. The Bible's the same way, right? We can, um, come on now. There we go. Ah! Trying to round the end off. I gotta put this under a tarp so it doesn't tear a hole in the tarp. So the, uh, here we go. Um, so we've got to actually take what's in the Bible and make it live in our own lives. We've got to take the lessons and bring them home with us. They can't stay in the book. They can't stay in the church. they got to come off the page and live with us. That's our testimony. Our testimony is... God said, do thus, and I did thus, and such and such happened. And that's how you uh, persevere. That's how we overcome. Here we go. Come on, get out. There it is. That's how we, um, that's how we overcome as believers. Is that we, uh, our testimony of what God has done in our lives through his word, through fellow saints through uh, our obedience right that's how it all comes together is it uh, when we obey Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And you got to be looking, you got to be seeking His face. There's, uh, there's something you have to do to get up off the couch and make it happen. And you'll find, you'll find how real Scripture is. You'll find how, how real the Bible is. How abstaining from sin keeps you from being tricked. How, uh, you wind up not being afraid, 
even though bad stuff happens, even though crazy things happen, even though, you know, things are insane or, you know, the, oh, the virus is, that's fine. God is still God. You know, we'll get through it, whatever happens, whatever's going on, we'll be okay. Gonna be okay. Because you've got your priorities on a different playing field. It doesn't matter what you're, um, what you think is happening. It doesn't matter what you see happening, what's going on around you. Once you're, uh, once all your investment is in the spiritual, in the things above, you're good, man. You don't have to be, you don't have to worry about anything. Because God has you covered. There we go. There we go. Let's take that other end, clean it up real good, shove this under a tarp and go home. So, that's all I got for you today. You don't have to take my word for it, and I will see you next time.